Welcome to episode 50 of the J Bunny's Music Hub podcast. I'm your host, J Bunny. Well, everybody, took <laughs> took three years to get here, but uh, finally at episode 50, uh, the guest for this episode returning to the show, Charlie Corletta. Um, now, I will say that I, I mistakenly stated during the interview that he was the first three-time guest on the show. That's not technically true, because uh, I realized while editing and, and doing some other stuff for the show, the, the, the first person to be on the show three times was uh, Jay Emery, although the episodes that he was on, uh, two of those were genre discussions, so I guess you could say that Charlie is the first guest on the show that's been on three times to talk about his bands and his music. In any event, it was a great interview. It wasn't near as long as the first one. It wasn't near as short as the second one. But it's a bit of a longer episode. But that's just because we've known each other for so long. We talk about a variety of, of things that I think that you guys will enjoy. Um, his band The Silencer. His uh, Once again, his relationship with Fear Factory. His thoughts on, on uh, everything going on in the world. And of course, you know, it wouldn't be a talk with Charlie without some talk of pro wrestling. Uh, I really enjoyed this as always. I hope you guys do as well. Without further ado, here's Charlie. What's up, everybody? It's Jay Bunny. I am here once again at home, once again on Skype, once again drinking the fantastic goodness that is a beer from the Ghost Talk Brewery in Clifton, New Jersey. Joining me today on the show for the third time, first third appearance for a guest on the show, Charlie Corlett is with us today. How's it going, Charlie? What's up, Jay Bunny? How's it going, man? It's awesome, and I'm honored to be the first three-peat. Uh, does this mean that like I'm officially like a podcast interview dynasty? Is that <laughs> is that is that what's up? But no, man. Seriously, it's awesome to hear from you again. It's been too long. Yeah, man. I was uh, our the, the last time that you were. I've tried to get you on the show a couple times. You know, you're a busy guy. I've tried to get you on the show a couple times for some of the roundtable discussions. But I think the last time that I actually had you on the show was episode 11, which we recorded immediately after the Silencer's first live performance. Yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> for me, that was uh, like two and a half jobs ago. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so how have you been? How have you been faring in uh, in in the apocalypse? <laughs> I've been doing pretty good, dude. Uh, you know, I think that this whole quarantine and pandemic, as tragic as it's been and as chaotic as it's been, it's also been a little bit of a blessing in disguise. You know, um, I teach music outside of working in the bands, and I was very fortunate and lucky enough to actually still be able to teach all my students. I work with School of Rock, and I was able to meet with all of them online through uh, Zoom. And once a week, I'd meet with all my students, like a total of like 40 something students every every day. I would schedule a lot of time for them. And I think because we had all this time during the pandemic, it was it forced me to be able to uh, really focus not just on creative aspects like my music and, and my art, but on these students and get them to be in a positive headspace and keep them focused on a goal, learning new songs, learning new materials, new techniques. So I got to say, man, as much of a bummer as it was at first and as, as hard as it was uh, being isolated, I think a lot of really good, good things came out of it for a lot of people, not just myself and my students, but a lot of my peers as well. And I think the fact that we have like Skype and Zoom and, and different ways to conference call and meet with people, it's just opening doors to a whole new dynamic in the world of music and the arts. So it's pretty awesome. Um, 
hopefully things get under control a little bit more. Uh, it seems like we're at the tail end of this thing, but let's knock on wood. You know, we're coming into the colder weather and let's just hope that we don't have a, a resurgence of this thing. Let's hope that we get out of it in one piece, you know? Right, right. So one thing that I, I was going to ask you a bit later, but it ties in perfectly to what you just said, you know, right now with with like COVID going on, a lot of bands have had to and not just bands, just live entertainers have had to find other ways to get themselves out there and, and stay engaged with their audience. There's a lot of uh, uh, live streaming on the Internet, on Facebook. There are, uh, you know, I've seen bands uh, doing that. And then also, you know, you know that I go to the Renaissance Fair. They actually created a Facebook page called Digital Ren Fair, where they hold like a, a, you know, an online streaming like Ren Fair every weekend. And then I also noticed there's this thing called the Nowhere Comedy Club, where like comedians are doing like comedy shows through zoom. And then there's also been these like drive-in concerts, both <clears throat> driving to a location where a band is playing or a band has filmed a, a concert and then showing it at drive-in theaters. Like, you know, how do you, what do you think of, of like, you know, the way that, that entertainers have had to stay, how they've stayed engaged with their fan bases during this time? Yeah. So, I mean, it's definitely been a little bit of a challenge if you don't have a big budget, if you're like an emerging band, like a do-it-yourself band, and you don't have access to the equipment to, to provide like a really good live stream, it could be more difficult. But I think the, the fact that we're seeing so many artists finding different ways to create new medium for, for content uh, for their audiences, it's inspiring everyone across the board. Uh, me personally, you know, seeing that bands like Metallica did the live stream, like you talked about, the, uh, the drive-in theater experience – that's like really inspiring and it really opens my eyes to the possibilities of how to present my bands and my my art to to our audience. You know, I think most bands nowadays have access to recording gear, whether they do it in home or they go to a studio and uh, they probably have some kind of access to video technology, be it through some kind of production company and or just like with their own devices, like whether it be their cell phone or digital cameras. So if you put all your resources together and you tie everything in, you get a really good recording of yourself and uh, you tie in some multi-angle video shots, you can produce something that's really good that audiences can pay attention to. And what I'm finding is that across the board, for the most part, the bands who put in the work, who put in the time, and our doers and not just talkers, they're making things happen. You know, the bands who, who just make excuses and who kind of just use this pandemic as an excuse not to work, unfortunately, I feel like they're going to fall by the wayside. But you're seeing, again, you're seeing for the most part, artists across the board, they're just progressing at such an accelerated rate. And their, their fans are staying engaged because you got to remember, man, like everybody's in this whole thing together. Like we've all been isolated. We've all been affected in some way or another by this pandemic. And, um, you know, their fan bases want to watch them. They want to they want to grow with them. They want to see what they're up to. So I think it's something that we're going to be seeing be put out there, just not when the pandemic's over. Like, I think this is here to stay. You're going to see artists relying more and more on live streaming and um, creating these uh, performances, whether it's 100 percent live or it's pre-produced, like in the instance of like Metallica or I know uh, the band Down with Phil Anselmo and Pepper Keenan, they just did a big live show and Behemoth did one. And the production value is killer on those. 
But you're going to see that across the board because we we still don't know when touring is going to be up and running and when we're going to be able to do full capacity gigs again. So this might be kind of like the new normal. And I'm totally down with it. I mean, it definitely doesn't replace the live experience, right? Like being at a concert and seeing your friends and seeing your favorite acts. But it's a nice supplement to to what we normally do on a day-to-day basis. And personally, I think it's really inspiring. Like when I get to see my peers performing with their bands and I get like that one-on-one experience where I'm not distracted by some dude sweating on me and spitting all over me at a concert, it kind of changes it. It kind of changes the whole concert going experience and the fact that I can stop and start it and rewind it. It's kind of cool. So, you know, I'm embracing it, man. You know, again, there's nothing like a live show. There's nothing like uh, person-to-person interaction, but in the meantime, I think this is pretty dope, and I think we're just very blessed and fortunate to be living in a day and age where the technology is readily available for anyone who wants to make this happen. Yeah, I was actually supposed to go to that Metallica one, but uh, like they actually SiriusXM had done a contest because they were originally going to have it happening on a, on a Saturday night, but then SiriusXM was like, well, we're going to do a private show, and we're just anybody that wins through us will do it Thursday. So like got an email from them saying, oh, hey, congratulations, you won, you know, go to the drive in in Warwick, New York on Thursday and you can bring up to three people with you. I was like, oh, awesome. So like I took off of work and everything. And then I woke up that afternoon and I had an email from them saying, yeah, so the weather's supposed to be horrendous. So we're canceling it. But, you know, there's still going to be, I guess, Jose uh, Mangan had done that. He was supposed to be doing this Zoom interview with Metallica. As like a pre-show to the to the concert, so they still did that Zoom interview, and I got to I got to be in on that. But you know, the actual uh, movie on the Thursday, I uh, wasn't able to go to. They're like, we can anybody that won for Thursday can go Saturday, but it was like, ah, I have to take off of work again. <laughs> I have to take off of work again and everything. I just I don't want to jump through the hoops that that's gonna take. So I just watched the Zoom, and it was it was it was great though. I just kind of wish I'd gotten a chance to to do the movie thing, but. You know, yeah, I'm hoping it was a- that I see more bands, you know, that I'm into doing that. It seems like a lot of the ones, like Metallica has been the only metal band that's that's done it through that particular company, Encore Live or whatever. All the other ones have been like country acts so far. Yeah, Encore Live is uh, definitely a big emerging company, and I think, like I mentioned before, you're going to see a lot more of that, and you're going to see them working with top tier talent and acts. Uh, it's just a matter of time. I think Metallica was kind of lit- the litmus test to see uh, how well this would do. But again, like it sucks, like inclement weather, you know, it kind of affected people going out to Warwick, New York to see that. But again, it's just kind of like anything else. It would have been the same if it was some kind of outdoor festival. Right. So. Right. But the cool thing with this is the fact that it's there. It's recorded. You know, it was pre-production. So like I know I didn't go to the drive in to see the, the concert, but I was able to see a lot of the performances, a lot of the songs they're up on YouTube and, and um, these other file sharing sites and uh, video content providers. Like, so you can actually log in and check out some of the performance and it looks and sounds phenomenal. So I think again, pros and cons to everything, but it's cool that like in time, that whole show in one way or another, you'll be able to see it at, at, at any given point. But yo, my hat's off to Jose, that interview, I actually, I, I listened in on that interview and I know he was really stoked about a childhood dream, you know, to, to be sitting with one of his favorite bands. And, and uh, you know, XM, Sirius XM did a killer job with that. The promotion was awesome. Sucks you didn't get to go. But again, you'll be able to see it in full. And um, when you do, I think you'll be 
really pleasantly surprised at how well it's put together. Like I said, bands like Down, they just did one. They didn't work with Encore, but they did just a live streaming from like the, the comfort of your own home kind of thing. And that right. was all aw- that was awesome. And uh, Behemoth did one and that was like some next level production. Like they brought like a whole cinematic and pyrotechnic approach to, to the visuals and the sound was awesome. So it's kind of cool. You really get to see the bands in a whole new element. And, you know, we even see it with like pro wrestling too. Like, right. There's more of that cinematic storyline thing that they're doing with, with pro wrestling because they don't have like full live audiences. So again, it's just, I think it's forcing people and artists to be uh, looking outside the box and just be more, more creative. But you'll see it, dude. When you see it, you'll enjoy it. But congratulations on winning <laughs> on winning a spot. That's still cool. You get to see yeah, that. yeah. So, so getting into uh, into you, the last time you were on the show was immediately after the Silencers' first show opening for Thirty Six Crazy Fist. That was a few years ago at this point. So, why don't you fill listeners in on on uh, what's gone on and uh, with the Silencers since then? <laughs> a lot, dude. There's been a lot. So, first off, you know, thank you for being like among the first of my homies to like put us out there and you know uh put us over and take an interest in the bands when it actually became a live band yeah that was a couple years ago and you know most bands they kind of like when they're going into this whole thing they they put one foot in the water and they slowly build like a following they slowly build some kind of fan base and they like take on local shows before before diving into deep territory but with the silencer we were all everyone in the band was kind of seasoned vets at this point when we started this thing as like a live band. So the fact that I got to open up for 36 crazy fists, like you said, they're one of my favorite bands ever. So, um, that was like a true, like hit of inspiration for us. And we had such a good response and feedback from that first show that we just were in, we were all in all engines go started doing live shows. Um, we've always been a single, a singles driven band where most bands put out an EP or an album we would only focus on like one or two singles a year, but we would focus more on getting out live to our audiences and then pumping out one or two singles that would hope, hopefully hold us over for a couple months throughout the year, basically like an album cycle. But nowadays, what we're noticing is that if you're not putting out content like every month or so, <laughs> you know, every couple of weeks, um, the listener engagement, the viewer engagement, all that, the, those numbers seem to be going down. And I know the CEO of Spotify talked about that. So um, right now we're focusing on just trying to produce more music for everyone, more music videos. Obviously we can't play live right now, but as soon as we can be, as soon as we can play live again, we'll be up and running. I know we're scheduled for the rescheduled 2021 Blue Ridge Rock Festival out in Virginia. And um, that was actually supposed to be going on this past week. But again, because of the pandemic, they postponed it till next year. And uh, we were actually a main stage band for that festival, uh, like Saturday evening time slot, like perfect time slot. And I mean, every band under the sun that you can think of was scheduled for that show, like Kill Switch Engage, Bad Wolves, all that remains, you know, like just all like every band you could possibly think of, like even body count and like Fozzie. So, nice. uh, so yeah, this was going to be our first, I think over the, since you saw us when we opened for 36 crazy fists, our stock has definitely risen as a band. Uh, we have more eyes on us. People are paying attention. We've been playing more high profile gigs. Like we actually got out to uh, Gramercy theater in New York city. That was a big lifetime goal for the, for the silencer. And we were able to open up for uh, Nile who's a, for those who don't know, very inspirational, influential uh, death metal band that we all look up to. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the 
the wave we're riding right now is to just try to get on as many high profile gigs as we can and just constantly produce new singles and content for people out there. The biggest thing that's happened, there's those two really, really big things that happened. Those who know the silencer know that it, I started it as a solo project, uh, like about eight or nine years ago. I was the lead singer when you'd come and see us live, uh, in the studio, I would write and record most of the music, uh, with the help of Zachy, my drummer and my other guitarist, Greg Geiler. But when you saw us live, I was the front man and that's all I would do. I would sing. And I had my, my old bandmate, Steve Toth play my guitar parts live. So he was like our live session guy. Since we last talked, I've actually stepped down from the lead vocal spot and, uh, we've hired an amazing vocalist by the name of Ace Vincent. He used to sing for a band called Another Day's Armor. So he's singing for us now. I'm playing guitar live. Steve, uh, he was never like a quote unquote official band member, although I treated him as such. He didn't contribute to the writing or anything like that or the decision making. He was just like our live guitar player. I've since filled that role as the live guitarist. So now the music is sounding exactly how we want it to live. And our bass player, Dave Goyette, at the end of 2019, let us know that he was going to be stepping down from the band. Uh, he had just gotten married and he was actually, he's in another band called Norris Stone with like his like childhood buddies. And he just can't fit it in his schedule and it, you know, make it a priority anymore. So he carried out the rest of his commitments for 2019. Then he stepped down and we had to look for another bass player. So we actually scoured the globe <laughs> and um, me and my guitar player, Greg Geiler, remembered that we played in a band about 15 or more years ago. Actually, back in like 2005, we had a band called The Sequel, and we had this awesome bass player name, named Ray, and we just kind of got reconnected with him over the last couple months. So we actually, we asked, we reached out to see if he wanted to be in the band, and he was all for it. So not only do we have a new vocalist, we also have a new bass player. And to be honest with you, Jay, like this is definitely the tightest and like the best sounding version of the silencer yet all the pieces are perfectly placed now and uh you know the fact that i get to just focus on guitar and writing has changed the dynamic of how we write music and i think you can hear that if you were to compare like our old stuff uh, when it was just mostly me focusing on the music to now where it's a more collaborative effort and i don't have to worry about wearing the vocalist hat the music just sounds better. It's tighter. It's heavier. It's more aggressive. The melodies are better. It's just a better product. So um, a lot going on with us. <laughs> a lot. We're a full-fledged like live band now, uh, doing everything on the level. Okay. Now, the first time you were on the show, you had mentioned the possibility of potentially getting a different vocalist, but it took nearly three years for, for you to, to actually have that happen. Why the, uh, I don't want to say delay, because I know that it was sort of something you'd been thinking about. Um, what, what made you finally decide to bite the bullet, I guess, and, and make that decision? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, when I started the silencer, again, it was just me. I would get in the studio, I'd play all the parts, I would record all the parts, I would sing all the parts. And being a, a lead singer in a previous band, Julius Caesar, I knew I was more than capable to handle that that job and the responsibility. But in my mind, I had always heard a different style of vocal, slightly different style of vocal for, for, for our music. I knew I was good at what I did. I knew I could command a crowd, and I knew that it would sound good on record. But I was never fully satisfied with how I sounded uh, as a lead vocalist for my own music. So like you said, like I had been toying with that idea for years. But as you know, 
as I'm sure you can imagine, it's not easy to find like the right guy for the job. You know, there's a lot of people out there who claim to be lead vocalists, but unless they're already like swallowed up by some major big band, you know, there's a lot of hobbyists out there and there's a lot of people who kind of talk the talk, but they're not the total package. You know, they don't possess all the qualities that are needed to be in a professional band. So over the years, I had my eyes and ears open constantly looking for a vocalist, hoping that we could maybe find someone to fill that role. And then just fate would have it, luck would have it, that our old bass player, Dave, uh, had gotten married and I had gotten connected with his friend Ace, who he actually used to play in Another Day's Armor with, Ace's old band. So I had watched a lot of Ace's like, music videos with that band and listened to the music, and I had gotten to know him really well over a couple months, period of time, and I was just like, this is the guy. Like, this is the guy that I've been wanting all along. He has the exact sound that I've been looking for from day one. His vocals just have a more, like, rich tone to him. It's a little bit more robust. It's got a little bit more aggression. Uh, he's got a great look. He was great on camera in his music videos. He fits the bill of a front man. And most importantly, he felt like a brother. You know, he felt like a dude that I knew for years. And um, getting to know him better and better, I would go to shows. I'd go and see, like, Killswitch Engage or whoever – and he'd be at the show or at Sea Parkway Drive. So I knew that we had a common interest in the same types of musical taste. And like I said, we'd hang out and it felt like we knew each other for years. And he reminds me a lot of me in certain respects. So, you know, I finally just found the right dude. You know, I didn't want to pull the trigger and get the wrong guy and, and have everything I had been working so hard for for the better part of like eight or nine years just all of a sudden fall by the wayside by not having the right vocalist because – Changing vocalists is a big deal in a, in, a, in a band. When people see that, they get very apprehensive. The, the fans, the people in the industry who might have their eyes and ears on you, seeing your progress, they get scared. So you got to make sure that whoever you're getting is leaps and bounds better than, than the singer before. And leaps and bounds are able to contribute in a way that helps the band grow and doesn't just keep them in this same position. So Luckily enough, we were able to get all those pieces in place and um, feels really good, dude. And the most important reason that I stepped down for vocals was just to go back and, and play a little history game with you. When I was in Julius Seizure, one of the big things that happened was um, I actually gave myself a concussion screaming like and I mean like a legit like head on collision concussion. Um, I it went undiagnosed for about two years, two and a half years. Um, but I'll never forget it. I was in the studio one day with those guys and I didn't warm up, which is something I typically would always do. And I just went for like those, that big held out long scream. And it felt like someone just hit me over the head with a baseball bat as hard, as hard as they could. And I thought that it was just something temporary that I just hurt myself a little bit, but no big deal. Fast forward week after week, month after month when I was in that band, my life just started spiraling out of control in a weird way. Like I wasn't addicted to drugs or anything like that, but like my mood was changing. I was acting out of character. My decision-making process was all over the place. And I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know that I had a, a serious concussion. And uh, I went for a series of tests. I was going to doctors for like a couple years, for like two, two and a half years. And I finally went to a neurologist and they got a scan of my brain and they saw that there was um, like gray matter uh, spots on, on the brain, very indicative of a, of a serious concussion. And when I explained to them what I think it was, uh, you know, telling about that, that scream, they were like, oh yeah, that's a hundred percent what you did. Like 
there's a, just to get into a little science of it, there's that little bit of space in between your brain and your skull there. And when you scream, there's resonance. You're, you're creating vibrations within that space. And between that and like headbanging and moving, making a quick jolt motion, you can actually cause yourself apparently to get a concussion, which, uh, which is crazy to think. And they actually said that, it, you know, had I kept going with it, that it could have been something life-threatening or could have seriously affected my health and had adverse effects. So what I started noticing when I was, when I was playing with the silencer, when we would do live shows or we'd have rehearsals where I would be singing, everything was good at first, but then I started getting a lot of those side effects and feelings that I got a couple of years back when I had the concussion. And so I noticed my mood swing was starting, you know, I would get mood swings, my mood was changing. I was going, like I would get these quick bouts of depression and then like manic episodes. I'd get really, really dizzy and I'd get like bouts of aggression. And I was like, uh-oh, red flag. I was like, this is the exact same thing that was going on when I was singing full-time with Julius Caesar. I think it's time I need to take a step down. And so that was the the initial like big factor of, all right, we need to find a new vocalist. And then everything else like just was a blessing. You know, like I said, finding Ace fit the bill and now we're in a much better position. So like, I think everything happens for a reason. And just like I said, you know, the pandemic hit, a lot of people would probably look at that as a negative thing. Uh, people would look at this as a negative thing. I like to take the positive approach and find out what are the good reasons why this happened. And um, like I said, man, it, it was a huge blessing in disguise that that all went down. Alrighty, alrighty. And then with Steve, you know, you had mentioned, you know, he was always, you know, you've always referred to him as the band's live guitarist. Was there always an understanding between you and he that it was that that, that, that he made a part at some point? Uh, yeah. So initially, when I wanted to make the silencer a live bands, I go, you know, I went to the people I knew, and I wanted to find a, a guitarist that I could trust because I knew that I could not sing and play like all the complex riffs that we that we play live. I'm just not that good, you know? Like some people can do that. They can play guitar and sing. I just couldn't do it. And I always envisioned the silencer to have like just a main front man who just commanded the crowd without being distracted by playing the guitar or bass or whatever. Um, so I approached Steve, and when I approached him, at the time he said something along the lines of, yeah, man, I'll do this for you, but like I can't commit to being in the bands. Cause I actually went as far as to ask him, do you wanna be in the bands? Like, do you want to be like an actual member? Because Steve and I had always had a great working relationship in our previous bands. So he said, like, yeah, man, I'll, I will do this as long as you need me. Um, but I can't commit to actually being like a part of the band. But, you know, like two and a half years went by and he was doing all the live shows. He was, you know, in all the music videos. And, uh, you know, he like we would have rehearsals and he wouldn't be there. He lived in South Jersey and he didn't really have access to get down to rehearsals all the time. And like a lot of the uh, the camaraderie and bonding experiences were quite removed for Steve. So he would just show up for a rehearsal. Let's say we had a gig next week, <laughs> you know, like he would show up like a week or two before the gig run through the set. And that was it. He'd show up for the video shoot. And then that was it. Then we went see him or hear from him for like a couple months. So there was always this understanding that that he wasn't like a quote unquote official member, official member, but I don't know that he necessarily knew that I had plans at some point to not be the vocalist and would just become the guitar player. Mm -hmm. I don't know I don't know that he ever knew that. I know that when I told him that we were going to do this, he did make mention and voice that oh man, it sucks like I really I'm going to miss playing live 
because I know he loves playing live. He loves being right, on right. stage. He loves being on stage. And I definitely felt bad that he would no longer be a part of that. But he also knew and had the understanding that like he wasn't like an actual like official official member. Like to me, he was. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he was an official member because he did me the honor of always being there for me. So to me, he was always a member. And that's why I always put him in the music videos. People used to ask, well, if he's not like part of the writing process and like a quote unquote official member, why is he in the music videos? Well, because he's my brother and he didn't have to or doesn't have to do me the favor of freaking commuting out to to Brooklyn to play a show or wherever, making himself available for a video shoot. But he always did. So to me, he he is always going to be uh, a pivotal part of the silencer and our early success. And for those who don't know, he was actually my engineer for the first three singles. So in waiting, atonement, not the first three, excuse me, the early on singles, I'll just put that atonement in waiting, solitary lupus. He engineered those three records along with Kevin Antracian of uh, Dillinger Escape Plan Backroom Studios. So again, Steve was always a pivotal part of our early success. But yeah, he did voice to me like, oh, it's going to suck not playing live. And, you know, it was weird, like thinking about not having him there on stage because we had that natural chemistry. We were in bands together for like over a decade. So knowing that I was going to be moving forward and not having him there on stage was a little frightening at first because he kind of became like a security blanket for me, you know, knowing that I had this guy I can rely on and that I've known for so long, worked with, who was no longer going to be there was a little frightening. But on the flip side, it was kind of like a huge weight lifted off my shoulders, knowing that I didn't have to like work everyone's schedule around what Steve could do and what he couldn't do. And I didn't have to like worry about not taking gigs or taking certain opportunities because he wasn't available. So there's that side of it too. But um, Steve and I are still very close. I know he's gone on to uh, become Darth Hater, which is like his his rap persona. He's been doing a lot in the way of, of hip hop now. And I think he just put out a new uh, EP. So people should definitely go and check him out doing that. I would just love to see him get back involved in the metal game because he's just uh, such a prolific songwriter and he's so talented. And I think it's a shame that he's not putting his eggs in that basket because he's damn good at that. He's really, really good. So my best of uh, best of luck to Steve Toth. I love him. He's a, he's definitely a brother through and through fellow Scorpio. And uh, yeah, man. So in that, in that same realm, again, something I, I was planning on asking later, but it ties in real, real good. Is that since you guys were last on the show, you know, he had formed another band called inhale the ghost, which you, were the bass player for i really i really dug that ap and i was really hoping to see more out of that band when i interviewed thanatonic desire at their decade of desire anniversary show mace who's the guitarist for thanatonic and was the the vocalist for inhale the ghost he had said that you know you guys might have had a drummer that may be a full-time drummer and you guys might actually play out live but that didn't happen and and it doesn't look like there's been any updates on any of the inhale the ghost social media since january of last year is that band still a band or um i mean you'd have to ask steve because that's his his project that's his baby i know that i like signed on to do a music video for them and i actually like didn't play bass on the recording uh just in the music video i did lend my voice to some backups on the record and i know he had intentions of making it a live band but i think the problem was you had me that he was looking forward to to working with who was already in a full-time band you had mace who was in thanatonic desire and they were 
trying to keep that ball ro- rolling. I know they like kind of resparked their their flame by doing some live some live gigs, and then finding like a really reliable, responsible drummer is not an easy task. I thought the record was cool. It was fun. And I know it was a passion project for Steve, but I think you'd have to talk to him to get further detail if he plans on making that like uh, an official thing moving forward. I worked with him after that in a System of a Down tribute band. It was oh, my yeah. Si- yeah, it was me, him, Will from Thanatonic. He was playing bass. And then Yosef L., who was the other Julius Caesar vocalist, the original vocalist, who I then took his place in Julius Caesar, and then he took my place in Julius Caesar. Right, right, right. Um, so that was that was awesome, and I played drums for that band, and I did one gig with them, and uh, it was awesome. Like it was packed, people were going nuts, and it was really, really fun being able to just play another band's music from front to back. And I know we had plans on doing some other shows, but I can tell you personally that the only reason it wasn't working out for me, and I never stepped down or anything. But I had to have that conversation with him and Yosef to be like, hey, man, my schedule is just conflicting way too much to be able to say I can commit to like shows. And I did not want to hold that back. and I didn't want to hold them back from that. So I don't know what the status is of of we're called not system of a noun. I don't know what the status is of that band and what we're going to do with that, or if they're going to get another drummer or whatever. But it, I think that the bottom line is I think that seems to be the issue across the board and why Steve has now focused on his hip hop careers, because it's really difficult to get everyone in a room, especially when you get older, to get everyone into a studio to rehearse and commute and drive. We're all coming from different areas of, of Jersey or New York. And I think that was just like the big thing is that everyone had other commitments that they were involved in, that they were prioritizing, that made it very, very difficult for, for him to be able to get some of these projects off the ground. So now that he's doing his hip hop thing, he doesn't have to rely on anyone else really but himself. So he, you know, he dictates the schedule, he dictates the rules, and uh, I think that might be more uh, successful for him, given the fact that he doesn't have to rely on other people. But we'll, you know, never say never. We'll, we'll see if the stars ever line up. I always want to play with those dudes because they're all awesome people and um, really great musicians to work with. So we'll see what happens with that. All right. Now getting back to to the silencer, you guys went through. You know, your lineup changes, you played, I think, just that one show and the, the near the end of last year, if I'm not mistaken. And then, you know, coronavirus kind of started happening in December. And you already mentioned Blue Ridge Rock. Uh, other than that, what what were what were, would you have been doing in 2020 with the silencer had this not all happened? Yeah. So at the tail end of 2019, we actually we played we played three shows with uh ace our new vocalist oh well we did, fuck, yeah. fuck me i only knew about the one <laughs> yeah no we we did the show with nile at gramercy theater then we did direct support for mod and that was in clifton and then we closed out the year in brooklyn with ace and that was actually like our best show to date you know it was like a small club gig like underground place was packed that's when i really started to really see just how great of a of a frontman ace was like he jumped in the crowd was jumping in the pit got everyone engaged uh, with with us and we played with some awesome bands uh one of them was uh, resistor i think i want to say they're from long island or brooklyn but i can't remember but they're awesome awesome hardcore band we played with bands that fit the bill really well um so our goal was 2019 finished that off we knew we weren't going to have a bass player. Dave had committed to those shows. And then we were just going to go in the studio, get new material out, have like two or three singles in the bag, and then pump those out 
to gear up for our appearance at Blue Ridge Rock Festival. Well, September was coming during the pandemic. We knew that. And, and up until, I'd say, June or July, we were still scheduled. The promoters had not canceled or postponed the show up until that point. So we were like, damn, all right, all engines are still go, I guess. Like, we got to keep moving like a band and hope that this show happens or doesn't happen, whatever. So we had to get our bass player, like I talked about. We found Ray, started rehearsing with him, got in the studio. We finished up two singles, uh, Beliefs, which is out now, as well as another single called The Fall. And we were basically going to get Beliefs out there, use it to promote us going to Blue Ridge Rock Festival. Then we were going to perform Blue Ridge Rock Festival and then have our director on set at at the uh, day of the show to shoot our live performance so that we could put out our new music video and use the visuals of the big festival crowd to kind of put over the bands and make us seem big and, and, and showcase us in the live setting. And then that single, The Fall, would have dropped probably, you know, same time anyway, like October, but would have showcased us as a festival band. Unfortunately, that's not happening. But all in all, our scheduling and how we're putting out our music videos and our music is still falling in line just the way we anticipated before the pandemic, which is really awesome. It's just that now, like, you don't have the visual of us playing at a big rock festival, which is no big deal. Um, that's still going to happen next year. So for the remainder of this year, we're going to release our follow-up single called The Fall. You should expect that to be out sometime in October, maybe early November. And we're actually, as of this talk with you and I, we're scheduled to shoot the music video in two weeks in Brooklyn. So it'll be out pretty soon. And then we're just going to dive into the studio and finish up our EP, which is going to be called Curtain Call. And we'll probably release that at the beginning of the new year. And we'll just keep pumping out different content, more music videos. And we're still going to, instead of just releasing the EP, we're just, we're going to keep releasing the singles and then we'll release it all as a collective EP. Because like this, the CEO of Spotify talks about this too. This is a singles driven market, the, uh, the new model for the music industry. And if you're putting out like singles, like once a month or once every two months, you're going to stay current, you're going to stay relevant, and you're going to keep getting more and more eyes on you. People, unfortunately, for the most part, the group collective doesn't subscribe to the idea of album sales anymore. Like you and I, as, as huge music fans, we still buy records and we'll listen from front to back. But the average listener is on a shuffle mode or they, you know, they, they hear the new single. And then that same day, there's like 30 artists who are also dropping new music. So things get lost in the shuffle very quickly. So our whole plan is to just keep releasing singles. But instead of it being once or twice a year, like we used to do, um, you're going to be seeing uh, music from us like every two or three months to follow us through the whole end of the year. And hopefully, knock on wood, hopefully everything clears up. And that will bring us right into a year from now where we perform that Blue Ridge Rock Festival. Okay, and so do you think? I mean, I know that that uh, obviously you've already mentioned you like to stay optimistic, but I have seen some projections that that you know live music may not actually return until the following year, 2022. Yeah. I mean, do you think that that by the time Blue Ridge is supposed to come around next year, do you think that? I mean, I know that you know, uh, you know, you're not a scientist or anything, but do do you or or a medical professional in any way? But do you think that the world will be back to normal enough by then that 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 show can happen? Uh, one can only hope, you know. We can only hope, and we can all we can do is keep working as a band as if this isn't even happening, and keep pushing forward in the in the regards of how we would want to. And if all is meant to be, then all is meant to be. And we'll be back up and running and we'll be at that show. I know that like 
I did another interview uh, about a week ago and they were based out of the Midwest and they're like, everything's completely open. We're having festivals, we're having concerts, everything's fine. Blue Ridge Rock Festival's out in Virginia, down south. How are they hit? How are they impacted? Here's the, right. here's the, here's the, re- the real tricky thing about it is even if that area is showing like virtually no signs of COVID and no signs of uh, the pandemic or whatever. If it's a festival, you got the bands traveling from all different states. You got fans traveling from all different states. And all of a sudden, the potential for contamination and, and the risk factor jumps through the roof. Right. So again, all we can do is is hope and, and plan for the best. Expect the worst and plan for the best. And we'll see what happens. You know, if if it gets postponed again, it gets postponed again. Um, I know that I'm not going to put myself or my bandmates in a position to be in danger of anything, regardless of how people want to view this whole thing. I know there's people on both sides of the fence. Some people think it's real. Some people don't. Some people think it's politicized. Whatever the case is, I'd rather be safe than sorry. So if the projections are coming out and they're saying, yeah, it doesn't look good. Well, then, you know, as we get closer to that time, we'll we'll make a decision professionally uh, as to whether or not this is even going to be okay for us. But again, in the meantime, we're just going to keep pushing forward and moving ahead like like we are. And this is a perfect opportunity for us to really step up our game because we're not a signed band. A lot of our peers who are unsigned bands, I think they need to start stepping their game up to, to the level. And this is not like a pat on my own back, really, but we're producing content, our, our music and our videos. and We're producing content that's just at like a whole nother level now because we know there's this potential of, hey, we might not be able to invest in ourselves as a touring band or a live band for a very long time. So let's like put our money where our mouth is and let's make the absolute best product we can so that people can still enjoy the silencer and the experience of that from their their cell phone or the comfort of their own home. That's uh, that's fair enough. So you mentioned you mentioned the EP. What that's already come out, if anything, is going to be on the EP or is it going to be all stuff that we haven't seen as of yet? So the uh, Beliefs, the new single that's out right now, which you can check out on Spotify, Apple Music, the new music video, which is on our YouTube channel, The Silencer TV, that will definitely 100 percent be on Curtain Call, the new EP. The follow up single, which we're shooting the video for uh, in the next two weeks. The fall, that will also be on the EP. And then I have, I just have a tremendous amount of material on, that I have ready to go that I just got to get in the studio to, to, to pump out. Like Zachy and I, my drummer, he's also our engineer. Uh, me and him work so quickly and efficiently in the studio that um, there isn't even a question in my mind as to how quickly we can get the, the stuff recorded. But I'm toying with the idea of three to four new songs, definitely three new songs that no one's ever heard or seen before with a possible fourth. But again, by the time the EP comes out, hopefully our listeners and our fans will have already heard most of the material because we will be releasing them as singles with a lead up to the the sale of the EP as a whole. And now, you know, the song Beliefs just came out recently. I mean, the title seems somewhat self-explanatory, but can you give me a little bit more background as to what the song's about? Yeah, so it's it's <laughs> it's crazy that the timing of things, right? So we wrote this song before the pandemic. The majority of it was recorded before the pandemic. And then sure enough, we had the pandemic hit, then we also had the uh, the Black Lives Matter movement hit, and all the protests and the civil unrest hit. So we were like, wow, that's really crazy that we wrote the song Beliefs, and now all this different stuff is going on in society with people's different belief systems, right? So the primary focus of the song is just that, is that everyone has a different belief system, 
And because of people's different beliefs and their strong convictions of such can lead to certain turmoil, certain unrest. But at the end of the day, you got to stay strong in your beliefs when you know that your particular belief system is honest and, and true and, and isn't just self-righteous. You know, it's your beliefs that will lead you to, to the better part of your existence. But you got to be careful because if you're too headstrong in your beliefs and you're not willing to compromise or listen to other people's ideas and other people's perspectives, that belief system can also be your downfall. So you have to be very careful with your words and you have to be very self-aware and, and, and paying attention to the fact that you don't have all the answers. None of us have all the answers. It's the group collective that tends to make things move and take, you know, makes the needle move a little bit. So that's the primary focus of the song. Ace did a great job on the vocal content for it. But the one thing I wanted to make sure we stayed away from seeing is how the pandemic hit after we wrote the song was I knew that every metal band under the sun, not just metal bands, a lot of artists were going to produce videos and content that stemmed around the pandemic and that and that revolved around um, all the protests and the, the civil unrest. So I wanted to just kind of take a little bit of a different approach when it came to the visual element and the visual aspect of a music video and putting the message out there. There's a lot of artists who have a lot more eyes and attention on them than us who are doing a great job at making people aware of what's going on out there. Um, so we wanted to take a little bit more of a creative approach and not have the video content be so literal to the to the lyrics. All right. So another thing that I wanted to ask you about when the first time you were on the show that that, that first that that first uh, episode two of Jay Bunny's Music Hub with Charlie, fucking two and a half hour show. And uh, <laughs> one of the things that we had covered was your uh, friendship with the band in flames. So I'm sorry if this question puts you on the spot and I can certainly take it out, <laughs> but uh, I'm just wondering how you feel about the re-release of Clayman. And I've personally always enjoyed everything that in flames has put out, but I do recall hearing quite a backlash from the fan base when those re-recorded songs were revealed. Yeah. Well, you know, first and foremost, uh, to me, I probably have a very biased opinion of the band because they're so, because I am so close to them and I have such a, like a great history with those guys, the, the present members and the past members alike. But I'm also very honest in my opinions of things. So in no way is my opinion going to be skewed based off of how I feel about them as people. With that being said, I enjoy the, the re-release. You get the full catalog of, of the record as it was, just remastered and remixed, and it sounds great. And then the reimagining of these songs, which is awesome. I think, yes, it is different because the band is different. Does it compare? Does it hold up? to the original recording well that original recording of clayman is iconic and it changed the lives of so many musicians and changed the perspectives of how people wrote music and how they would create metal um, it was definitely a groundbreaking record on so many levels and had it not been for that band and that that record uh, and a, a few of their other records as well a lot of the bands we love and listen to today probably wouldn't even exist in the fashion that they do so i think First and foremost, we got to tip our hat to that and show respect for that. Now, with that being said, given that they're they're founding forefathers of the movement and the sound um, that they've created, they have the right to do whatever they want. They're artists and they grow and they evolve. And I think you hear that in the re-recordings of some of the singles. They're fun to listen to because I myself personally, just because I've seen the band live so many times and I know them as people, I have a slightly different approach when I listen to it in the respect that I can I can 
actually sit there and close my eyes and imagine watching them live playing the song. And when you see them live and you see them perform only for the week or Clayman, now on stage, it sounds a lot like what they re-recorded. And so to me, that's awesome. You know, most bands do that. They rework their material. You know, you, you listen to Kirk Hammett play a solo for Metallica. He plays it slightly different than he used to when he was uh, 22 years old or whatever. And I think the same could be said for In Flames. You know, they're constantly experimenting. They're constantly evolving and growing. And they're not afraid to take chances and risks. And personally, I don't think they really care whether people like it or not. They like it. And right. if, they li- if they like it, the people who like it are going to like it. And those who don't like it aren't going to like it. And that's just with any art. You know what I mean? Like I can literally smear my own fecal matter on a piece of canvas and some people are going to think it's brilliant and would be willing to spend millions of dollars on it. And other people are going to be like, no, that's shit on a wall. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of art. And, um, I personally enjoyed the, the re-release. Um, I supported them when it came out. I, I even went so far as to go online, which I rarely ever do for, for them. Um, not because I don't support them. It's just like, cause I would usually see them and they'd throw me a t-shirt or whatever. But like I went online, I like ordered the new hoodie and some new merch to support the, the, the release because that record in particular had such a huge, and I talked about this before, it had such a huge impact on me personally. I was a senior in high school. It was their second U.S. tour. They were touring on Clayman. My old band, Arbitrary, had a chance to open up for them in Brooklyn, New York. They were my favorite bands, and to this day, they're still one of my favorite bands. And that was the show, and that was the night that opened the floodgates and opened the door to me, not just meeting my idols, but to then fast forward 20 years and have a friendship and a relationship with these guys. And and the things I've experienced with them over the years, going to different shows, being on different tours, uh, being on stage with them, all of that just came flashing like before my eyes when I listened to the re-release. So there's a nostalgia there, and there's something really, uh, some real strong emotional ties for me for that record. So if they decided to make a, like a 16-bit techno version of the record, I would have still listened to it and loved it just as much. So didn't they, again, didn't I, they do something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. They did for the last record. Actually, it was awesome. Video it was like video game style uh, soundtrack, which is really cool. But, you know, I, I talk, I sit here and I say like, oh, well, I can be unbiased. But then I guess at the same time, in the same regard, I'm being kind of contradictory because at the same time, when I listen to even the re-recordings, I just think of back. I think back to the last 20 years of me being with them and knowing them as people and all the things that they did for me and all the doors they opened for me by just embracing me as a friend so yeah i guess there i guess you know on the flip side there really is some kind of bias there when I, when i listen <laughs> but i i can i can see why people don't like it a hundred percent i understand i'm not going to be naive and say like oh these, these people just don't know what good music is i can understand why they don't like it 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 is it is got it is kind of removed from the original recordings and it it hits you sonically differently than the original recordings so when you listen to the re-recording of of clayman or, or only for the week, it doesn't hit you in the same way that the originals still hit you. But you know what? If them releasing this gets new kids and new fans to, to be exposed to a band in flames that they never heard before, then hell yeah, man, more power to them. And you know what? I hope they keep pissing off the metal elitists. I hope they keep pissing them off by doing crazy things like this, because I think that we're in a world now, and I see this from, I guess, the perspective of the, the working musician, where like when you talk to most 
people in bands, their palette for music is so vast and so open. They don't live in this small bubble, but a lot of like music fans, especially in metal, especially in death metal, they're so caught up in this one particular way of listening to things and one particular way of things being pre uh, presented to the public. And I like that Inflames is constantly pushing that envelope. And they're not super far removed from the band they were 20 years ago. When you listen to any of the records that came out after Clayman, you find Clayman and Colony and Jester Race in all of those records. But there's other stuff too. There's more experimental stuff. There's growth. There's more emotion attached to a lot of the lyrics and the music. And it's just a, you're listening to a band grow and change and evolve. And I like that they're not afraid to push that envelope. Too many bands get stuck in a formula and one particular way of doing things. And I think it's actually very, um, I don't want to say toxic. It's such like a strong word, but it's just not, it's not conducive to, to the growth of, of the metal scene as a whole. Now, we also talked about wrestling in your first appearance on the show. Again, obviously everything's on hold due to COVID, but I was just curious if you're still working with the MFPW. Yeah, so Monster Factory, world-famous Monster Factory, is a professional wrestling school out in Paulsboro, New Jersey. They um, have a promotion, the MFPW. I am color commentator in the MFPW, known as the Silencer Chaz Williams. And up until the pandemic, I was still active with the MFPW. I know October 3rd is actually, which is the same day as my video shoot, is the... It's also my birthday. Oh, oh, there you go. <laughs> See, good things all around. Well, happy early birthday. Happy early birthday to you. But yeah, they are going to be up and running, doing shows again. I had this conversation in a previous interview where I, I was asked a similar question. And while I'm still an active color commentator in the world of sports entertainment and pro wrestling, what I've noticed is that the silencer is taking leaps and bounds in, the, in regards to our success and in regards to like me having to devote my time and energy and attention to that. It's just I'm reaping more rewards from the silencer. You know, I put in the time and the work with that and I get I see some kind of residual, not just monetarily, but I see residual. I see growth in the world of professional wrestling. It's weird because you could be working as hard as you want. You could be knocking down all the doors you want. And if the spot's not there for you, you just have to be patient and wait for the spot to open up and be there for you. And what I noticed, it's a lot harder being a commentator or some kind of on-air personality that isn't a wrestler than it is being a wrestler because there's tons of wrestlers. And there's like if you go to a wrestling show, there's anywhere from like 8 to 12 matches, which means that like dozens of wrestlers get to work that night. Well, there's only one or two commentary, uh, commentary people. You right. know, there's only, there's only one ring announcer. So with the indie federations and promotions, they typically just look to the person who owns the promotion or maybe they have a family member that they're close with who's a big wrestling fan and they just give them that spot. They don't take it as seriously as they should. So when you watch a lot of these indie promotions, you're usually like, wow, the commentary is really not that good. And that's because they don't have like a professional journalist in that position. I'm still with the MFPW. However, my role has taken a step back because of my scheduling with the silencer. And it seems to always be clockwork orange man like every single every single time i have a video shoot a show a studio session with the silencer that's when danny cage is running his mfpw shows but <laughs> but he said you know i'm family there he said i'm always welcome the door's always open and the opportunity is always there for me to to get my chops in when need be and it's funny because a lot like my best friend is now your north american uh nxt champion damian priest my friend Matt Riddles over on SmackDown, 
My friend QT Marshall is over at AEW working with Dustin Rhodes and Cody and, and, and Brandy. And uh, Cody Vance is over at AEW. Uh, my boy LSG is in Ring of Honor. <laughs> so there's like a slew of talent that came from, from the MFPW, that came from the Monster Factory, that are all off doing amazing things, huge things. They're at the height of their game right now. And I feel had I still been an actually an actual active pro wrestler, which is a which is a position that I left years and years ago. But if I was still taking that ride, then I'd probably be in a very similar position to to my friends and peers. But like I said, in commentary, you, it, the jobs are very few and far between, and you have to wait for that spot to open. Now I could have just put all my eggs in that basket, but then that would have meant that I would have had to kind of give up on the silencer. Right. Right. You know, like I wouldn't have been able to keep it. Like the silencer would have had to have been a hobby. And to be quite frank, and if I had to choose between sitting home week in and week out, just hoping and praying for an opportunity in the world of pro wrestling and leave the silencer behind, I would never be okay with that. So, you know, we'll see what happens if the stars ever line up and an opportunity opens up and there's a position and a role for me to to step into. I will give that 110%. And if at that point that opportunity presents itself, and I have to take a step back from the silencer because now I now have this awesome opportunity. Well, then I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. And that that will be something I would inevitably have to do. But again, right now, silencer is just taken off tremendously. And um, I'm very happy in my role as a music instructor and teacher and, and music director. So everything I'm doing right now, I make all my money and all my success around music. So while I don't want pro wrestling to just be a hobby, and I don't really view it that way because it's so ingrained in me. Realistically, I have to say at this present moment, it's more or less a hobby for me to do something I love and get better at and hope one day that some kind of opportunity presents itself if I keep working towards it. Right. Okay. And then you mentioned, uh, I mean, I don't want to, to discount any of the other people that you mentioned, but you did mention Damien Priest. You know, I know that he, you know, he had also come up uh, in, in our first our first talk. You know, you guys have been, been friends a long time. So how was it to see him get, get signed at WWE? Oh, dude. <laughs> like, you want to hear me mark out? Like, by far, one of the proudest moments in my life was knowing that my brother was finally going to be able to live out his dream. So we actually, the silencer played a show in Clifton about two years ago or a year and a half ago, whenever he had first gotten signed. And he actually came to that show along with his brother and some other people, including LSG, who's over at uh, Ring of Honor. And before the show, he pulls me over and he's like, hey, dude, I got to talk to you. And I was like, oh, no, what's wrong? You know, like he he was kind of kayfabe and, 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 and no selling me. So I was like, oh, what is what's wrong with my boy? Like, is he getting released from ROH? Like, what's going on? So all of a sudden he pulls up on his phone a picture and there it is WWE contract. And dude, when I tell you I just exploded and popped as hard as I ever popped in my life, it was one of the most proud, selfless moments that I could ever imagine where I got this overwhelming feeling of joy and happiness just thinking back of the journey of since we were in high school talking about this dream, the very first time we signed our contract with the Monster Factory to train there to then fast forward to him now, given the opportunity, now keep in mind, at that moment in time, he wasn't on TV with with NXT. He was just signed to NXT. We didn't know what the future was going to be. I mean, I knew what the future was going to be. Like, <laughs> I knew right, he was right. going to, like, I'd known it from day one. I was like, he's the guy, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be holding gold in WWE. There's no question about it. Um, so to fast forward, 
after he shared the good news at my show to watch his progress and his growth in NXT to see where he's at now, where he's like second to the main event and he's your North American champion and his matches are going amazing. And he had the opportunity to be at Survivor Series and be on SmackDown and Raw. It's everything I always knew was going to happen had, you know, given the, the circumstance that he gave it his all. And I know there was a period of time where that was a little bit in question. He was kind of the big fish in a small pond on the independence. And maybe he wasn't putting in as much work as he knew he could have. But then a light switch went off. He was given an ultimatum at his old job. And they were like, you can either keep working here and give up on the wrestling or find something else. And it was in that moment he said, screw this. I've been working. At that point, I think he'd been working 15 plus years at wrestling. And then that's when the light went off. That's when the switch went and he became what we now know as Damian Priest. He started getting his body in better shape. His mentality changed. His focus changed. And seeing that growth, when I watch him on TV, dude, like me and my girlfriend will sit on the couch and, you know, we'll tune into the network or the pay-per-views. And actually, it doesn't even matter. It's so funny because it doesn't even matter the match. Like any match he's in, I get like super emotional and like I'm on the verge of tears. It's crazy because it's like there's this proud feeling. It's like, you know, I'm see he's my brother. Like, you know, he's not just a friend. He's not just some kid I've known my whole life. He's not blood, but he's the closest thing I have to family aside from my actual family. And he's closer to me than most of my family. And so to see him, like, for instance, when he won that North American championship, like tears were just flying down my face, dude. And I actually, I get choked up thinking about it now because calling him up and just kind of reminiscing about when we were kids and all the traveling we did for wrestling and all the parties we'd go to where when we were in high school, we'd go, we'd show up to like, you know, high school parties and we would like be doing wrestling moves to each other and our friends and breaking people's furniture, <laughs> you know, right, but like, right. all, so all these amazing memories just come pouring back. And we've, we've just had so many conversations over the years about living out our dreams and doing what we love to do and being successful at it and seeing that he's now in a position that I always had said since day one, he will be in. Cause he, as you can imagine, any kind of artist, he's an artist just as much as any musician. It's an art form being a pro wrestler, especially in WWE. And um, just like any artist, you always have a period of time in your life where there might be some uncertainty, some doubt, you know, the odds are stacked against you and people are telling you that it's an impossible goal and you should give up on it. And I know that he had that particular situation happen just like everyone else. And I was always there telling him, don't give up. This is going to happen. I'd be at his, his shows at VFW halls telling him this is going to happen. You know, I'd go on the road with him to Buffalo just to help him sell merch, telling him this is going to happen. And sure as shit, dude, here we are. And I think it's, you're just starting to see what this what this guy's capable of. He hasn't even scratched the surface, dude. And in my personal opinion, it's just a matter of time before you see him go on. You see him go on to WWE. And I think it's just a matter of time before he holds gold over there as well. It's inevitable. You know, he's that he's that damn good. You know, it's funny. I remember before it was official there was all these rumors flying that he was leaving ROH and signing with NXT. And I remember messaging you on Facebook, like, dude, is there any truth? Is you're like, nah, it's just, just a rumor. And then like, it came out, I was like, come on, really? You're like, well, you know, I had to keep up kayfabe. Yeah. Well, as a traditionalist and as someone who grew up in the business and came up in the business and I even treat my music career in the same regards as I would as a pro wrestler, I got to kayfabe things, you know, in an era where all the information's leaked and, um, people are privy to stuff. I still like to keep a sense of mystery. I still like to keep a sense of the unknown. And it's funny because to this day, I think that when I talk to him, 
Like when I knew he was going for the North American title, I was like, all right, so give me the scoop. You, you going over to you going over this weekend or what? And he still to this day, I'm convinced that he was kayfabing me the whole time. But he was telling me, he's like, I, I don't even know. Like, I didn't even know. But I like that. I like the sense of mystery. I like the sense of, again, that feeling like I did when I was a kid. And anything I can do to help in that regard to the business, I will always do. So far, so that when I'm calling commentary on matches, I don't like knowing the outcome. Like, I don't right. like knowing who the winner is because I want my reaction to be genuine when when that, when that you know the, the three count happens. Right, right. So... It brings me back to that old mentality of being a kid when you didn't know what was real and what wasn't. So I'll always keep that. I'll always uh, kayfabe things that need to be kayfabed. And you're not the only one, dude. A lot of people reached out to me and, and, and constantly reach out to me in regards to his career and what's going on. And I kayfabe them, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I might have asked you this. It, won't, it might not have been on the show. It might have just been in a, in a, in a you know personal conversation but what do you think the chances are just because you know triple h is a metalhead what do you think the chances are of perhaps the silencer at some point being tapped to maybe record a a theme for for damian priest chances are pretty good <laughs> the chances well, are pretty go. good you know i won't i won't write checks that my ass can't cash yeah yeah you know? but um i will tell you that when he first signed I did write a theme song for him. We knew going into it that it was possible that it might get used, that it might not. I know that the music department for NXT and WWE is its own entity. And right. I know I know that company, they hire those people to do things for a reason. You know, They rely on them. They're professionals. So if the, the professional says, hey, right now we're going to use WWE music created by us, for us. Triple H is always going to be okay. That Well, then that's what we're going to do. I did write a theme song for him. It's really good. I think I want to go back and re-record it now that we have Ace and get a little, get even better production on it and get Ace's voice on it. From what I know, it's not a sense of if it's going to happen. I think it's a matter of when it's going to happen. Yeah, I know that Damien shows my music and my music videos to all the boys in the locker room. I know Triple H has heard the single that we wrote for him. I know that he liked it. So right, that that in itself is huge for me. Like I'm a huge mark for everything that that guy does triple h right and um so i know that it's you know it's in the cards it's just a matter of when that opportunity presents itself again now here's the thing he's getting over with that music that music that that they wrote for him might just be the thing that carries him the rest of his career and as much as i want my music to be heard and i would love to one my my ultimate dream dude is to be able to play him out to the ring like motorhead did for triple h right 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 that that's my ultimate and we've talked about that since we were kids but you know like in the case of Shawn michaels the sexy boy theme song cheesiest theme song on the face of the planet but i love it you know we all love it right and it's right. become a it be, it's become a staple of who that character is so if damien's current music becomes a staple of who that character is well then that's what's meant to be and and he doesn't know anyone anything, you know, let him keep that music and, and let him get over with his career with that. But from the talks we've had and from what I know, it's a matter of just when is the right time for it to happen. Um, but I know they have the music. I've talked with their, with their music director uh, over at WWE. I've had talks with him. And I know Damien, if you actually go back to his Twitter account for like over a year, he had pinned a video to his Twitter, like was a like a entrance montage of him coming out to the ring and he put the song that I wrote for him as the as the entrance song. And people loved it. It's got like thousands of retweets and, and comments and, and follows. And it was so effective that 
it helped gain us like an extra like 1500 fans or whatever and people to this day have, who follow him religiously are constantly inboxing me like when's that song coming out when are we going to be able to <laughs> when are we going to be able to hear it um and you know what i had thought about at one point just releasing it but no i'm just going to sit back it's going to stay where it stays it's going to be in the can like i said i might re-record it to make it sound even better with ace on vocals and uh when that opportunity presents itself if it does well then great awesome but um yeah i think it's a pretty strong possibility that something like that could happen in my lifetime that's awesome dude it's funny, you know, because I've only ever met him once or twice at, at your shows. In fact, the, the the second episode I did with you, you know, after the concert, like he was kind of walking past and then came by. And I went up just because it was sort of it didn't it didn't blend well with with the conversation. I wound up cutting him out. But he was, you know, I met him, you know, a couple times at your shows and just that like and, and following him on, on Instagram and stuff. It's like I kind of sort of know this guy this is cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's awesome it's kind of surreal right like a a dude that was standing in the background while you were interviewing my band who is a current ring of honor superstar all of a sudden like has gone on to become the north american champion and it's funny i have that conversation with like a lot of my friends uh people who know him very well who grew up with him and 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 then people who just kind of got to know him through him coming to my shows and just being involved in, in the metal scene you know he's a huge metalhead so he just moved out to Florida. He's got a beautiful house out there now. He's doing really well with WWE and NXT. Um, I don't think he has any plans on ever moving back here. Um, so I don't know if you'll ever get to see him at shows again. But if you ever do, def- definitely make sure you go and say what's up to him. Yeah, man. I, I, I was thinking that just just because, uh, you know, like you said, he's a metalhead. Like, I think that he'd be cool to have on the show. I don't know if that's something that's really in the cards now, seeing what you know, not to talk crap on, on WWE at all, but I know you know they had that thing come out where they don't really want people to do any media or do anything without their approval. So I don't know how that would work out, but yeah, yeah, that seems to be the thing, and and so much so that you know I was starting up a podcast. I'd start up a podcast about a year ago, and um, my whole plan was to get guests on and and people that I know through the music industry and wrestling world. But again, like time, like my time is so pulled in in the direction of the bands and teaching music and my personal life that um i just didn't couldn't find the time to actually get the guests that i wanted to and 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 really devote the time that they needed but um even even knowing just knowing that what you just said i was even apprehensive and he's my best friend asking him to be on my podcast because i know that there's an approval process and there wwe is really strict on controlling the content and controlling the image and the message that's getting out there and rightfully rightfully so man you know i mean they're worth billions of dollars and it only takes like one or two people to say or do the wrong thing or be associated with the wrong people. And that can ruin tons of careers. So I totally understand why they do it. Um, but I would say, you know, if that's something you were interested in doing, you know, definitely, uh, explore the avenues. Um, you could always, I'm guessing you could always just like inbox them or I can put the word out there and see if it's even in the cards. Yeah, you know, because I like to do those those uh you know those roundtable shows from time to time. It, it didn't, it just with scheduling, it didn't work out this year. Like I wanted to do another music and wrestling show this year, but the the people that I wanted to have on it just weren't available. So because I want, I did one last year, and then I wanted to do another one that with um, I wanted to have you, Chris Babbitt and you back on the show, um, just because I think that you know him having been involved in you know 
being a fan of wrestling and, and, you know, he had made a song for, for WWE before. And then you being a wrestling fan, like I kind of think that it would be a good conversation. And like I said, it just didn't, it didn't work out, but I'll try and do another one next year. And then I also have a whole other list. If anybody wants to check it out on the, uh, the J bunnies music hub group on Facebook, I have a whole list of uh, roundtable ideas, you know, cause I, just like you were saying with, with needing to have constant content out with the band, it's sort of the same thing with the podcast. Like I want to have at least two shows a month, you know, but it all depends on the availability of other people. And so if I can't get yeah, somebody to, if I can't get somebody to interview, then, then I would, then, you know, then my, my, my sort of backup is, you know, let's get some friends on Skype and we'll bullshit about something. Um, but those people still need to be available too. Yeah. That's, that was the tricky thing. I, I know you'd mentioned earlier with uh, trying to get me on pr- uh, previously for some of those roundtable discussions, my availability at the time was like really, really limited. And I was actually really active with, with MFPW at the time. So it would have been perfect timing. Uh, it's just that like any time that would have been available for, for that, I was, I had to make myself available for, for, for the other things. Right. But, um, I will say that personally, my, my schedule during the day, like now, this is usually prime time for me. So if you're ever down, just let me know. I, I'm more than, more than happy to talk wrestling. <laughs> Sweet. Well, uh, the only other thing is, uh, you know, the only other question I have, and we kind of already touched on it, but what's what's next? So you guys are going to be working on on the the next the next song and the and the EP. You know, you've got the the show potentially next summer, uh, that the the Blue Ridge Rock Festival, and and you mentioned too, and I've also heard this in in talking to other people on the show that you know it's sort of a different world right now, like like in the Midwest versus the East Coast West Coast, like. Where we're on the coast, we're more shut down, but in in the in the center of the country, there's there's still stuff going on, you know. So, um, you know, are you guys gonna try and see if you can't get any any shows? Or are you just gonna work focus just on the music for now? Yeah, I think for right now, our it's gonna serve us best to focus on getting this new music out, getting the new music videos out, work on the EP, develop a really strong online presence with our YouTube page and our Instagram page. If there's an opportunity for us to play live. And um, it doesn't put my my boys in, in at risk or in danger. We'll uh, consider that option. We've also talked about potentially live streaming our own show with some other bands that we're friends with. But we would have to make sure that that live stream is at a production value that is as good as some of our peers and people we look up to. Because I've seen a lot of bands who have just live streamed from their rehearsal room and while it's awesome and it's cool and it's keeping people engaged, maybe it doesn't look or sound the best that it could. So my whole goal and my whole perspective on things is that anything we put out there should be at the top notch level that we can provide to our to our fan base, especially if it's something that we're going to ask money for. Because a lot of these live streams and online concert series, you know, they're they're asking for some kind of fee for the for the viewer, even if it's a, something as small as five dollars. I really want to make sure that the viewer and the listener are getting the full experience and they're really getting their money's worth. So we've talked as a band about how we can initiate that kind of content and that kind of performance if need be. I know that um, Kevin over at Backroom Studios has been pumping out some some uh, some live shows over there for bands, and he seems to be doing a good job. I know that my drummer, Zachy, he's actually in the process of moving his studio, Redshift Recording. He's actually in the process of moving that to a new location, and there's some real A-listers involved in this whole project where it's going to be a recording studio and a podcast hub, and it's going to be just like a who's who of the entertainment business and wrestling world um, and music industry that are involved in that. So 
we might just wait to get that place up and running and um, maybe start pumping content out out of there. So for right now, let's just focus on our EP, focus on promoting the new singles. Like I said, Beliefs is out now. It's our best single to date, hands down. And get the fall out to you guys by October, November. All right, man. It sounds good. I mean, I can't wait for for all that and, and you know that uh, seeing you guys again because uh, I haven't seen I haven't seen you guys since since getting ace or, or any of the lineup changes um, so you know I really want to I want to be able to check that out but we have to wait for the, the world to go back to normal <laughs> yeah it will it will dude and I, I can promise you when whenever that opportunity and that time comes when you get to see us live again you will not be disappointed like I said our last show in I think it was the end of December if I'm not mistaken, when we played in Brooklyn, if that's if that shows any indication of what we're going to be doing live moving forward, you'll be pleasantly surprised at, at the growth and the evolution of this band. And we actually we just uh, had rehearsal yesterday, right? You know, right before this conversation I had with you, and we all said the same thing. We're like, God damn, we're like at a whole nother level as a band now. Just the, like I said, the music's gone better. Our our performance has gone better. Our our gelling as a band and 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 being a group has has really, you know, really come into its own. Because you know, I know time flies when you're having fun and and rocking out and playing metal. But um, in the last two years or so, we've just become a whole nother monster. Like it's just it's ridiculous. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that some of us in this band are very well seasoned and have been. We have that experience of being in professional bands. So now we're in a position that when we hit when we hit a stage, we're just we're ready to go. All engines go. So I think whenever that opportunity happens, dude, you're going to be like, all right, finally. <laughs> yes, this was worth it. And it'll also be interesting to hear. And I'm sure I could look it up on, on YouTube in the meantime. But it'll be interesting to hear how the the older material that was recorded with your vocals sounds coming from Ace. Oh, it's awesome, dude. It's so good. And that's one of the things when we had our first rehearsals with Ace. When he did his own thing to that material, we all looked at each other. And this was before we obviously had the new material with him. He was playing and singing my stuff that I had written. And the, the, the things that he did to make it his own were just like, oh, yeah, this is the guy. Like, hands down. We, I'll, I remember, too. Like We think we were doing uh, I Archaic and maybe Within when we were in rehearsal. And there was a certain thing or two that Ace did. And I remember looking at Zachy, our drummer, and our guitarist, Greg, and we all looked at each other, and in that moment, like we knew, like right away, we're like, "Yep, we made the right choice. We made the right decision." You know, I also have, and I've mentioned this on other shows. It's just, it's so fucking weird for me because I'm gonna be, like I said, my birthday is in two weeks. I'm gonna be 37 years old, and so I've been going to live shows for 20 years. Yeah. And I did the math because I, I kept track. There's, there's actually this website um, uh, that I'm drawing a blank on the name of right now, but like. It's basically a concert database, and I went in there, and, and every show, because I kept ticket stubs and everything else, like I made a profile and logged in every every show that I'd ever been to. And until this COVID shit happened, I averaged two shows a month for 20 yeah. years, and now I haven't been to a show since March. Dude, I'm with you. I'm 100% with you on that. I'm an avid goer, uh, a concert goer, too, and I was kind of actually in the same boat. Like I think I was averaging two to three shows a month. Some months were more. Some there were some months where it was every week I was at a show, and now like yeah, all of a sudden it comes to a screeching halt. But you know what, dude? Being like a live music historian, 
you know, that's going to like tell a really cool tale in another 10 or 15 years when you're when when we're having this conversation uh, in our ripe old age. We're going to kind of be able to look back and be like, that was a crazy period of time. <laughs> I know my kids are bummed because we had tickets to go see the Five Finger Death Punch tour that was originally supposed to come through Jersey in May. Yeah. And then it got postponed to November. And then like a week or two ago, they're like, all right, it's canceled. And yeah, so well, they were... it'll come back and, you know. I think maybe your kids will be a little bit older and, you know, I think we're all just in general, people are going to be even more appreciative of live music. I know I went out to dinner with my girlfriend's parents the other night and there was like an acoustic act playing like outdoors, socially distanced. And we all just said to each other, we're like, damn, like how good does it feel to hear live music right now? So I think everyone's appreciation when it does come back, I think ticket sales are going to go through the roof. I think attendance records are going to be set across the board whether it's a small club gig or it's like your big stadium gigs. And uh, everyone's just going to have a newfound respect and appreciation for live music. Yeah, I mean, I, I, re- I certainly hope so, you know, because especially since, you know, I, I didn't I didn't ask the question because I've already asked it to you before about the music industry and what have you. You know, you've got everybody that thinks like, oh, well, bands make all the all of their money at, at shows. You know, right now there are no shows, so... You know, I'm hoping that that you know those same people realize that and are doing what they can to support their bands now. But when there are shows, go to the fucking shows. Yeah, you go know, to there the was shows. A, go to the shows for sure. There, there was a thing, and this is I'll, I'll always sort of live by this uh, this mantra. There was a, a saying that they used to say at the Renaissance Fair, oddly enough, all the time. You know, to try and get people to buy the music of the the, the acts, they would say at the end of the show, "Don't forget, support live music, buy a CD." Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and you know what uh best thing that artists can do right now and fans alike is support each other like if you see that in, that you know if you're in a band and your buddy's in a band promote his music and let him promote your music or her promote your music uh if you're a fan of of, of music and live entertainment be sure like i'll tell you like our merch sales have like quadrupled our our, our online merch sales have quadrupled in this time because people know that this is the only source of revenue or one of the only sources of revenue that we have right now. So I urge bands to pump out uh, merchandise to sell online. And I urge fans to, to go online and support these bands. If you believe in them and you love them and whether they're a big act like five finger death punch or they're a smaller tier band, like the silencer, make sure that you're going out there and you're, you're making it known that you're supporting these bands because, you know, listening to music and having a connection is one thing and that's great. But, um, the only way we survive is, is through the support. So definitely, definitely buy a CD, you know, download the music. But more importantly than downloading the music, buy a T-shirt, man. Buy a T-shirt. That's like the best thing you can do right now. You're going to take a look. I haven't I'm going to be honest. I haven't taken a look at, at uh, your merch recently. I got to take a look and see what because uh, I still wear the uh, the the fucking uh, tank top that you gave me, the the the, the He-Man Skeletor. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. We got a ton of, a ton of new merch and, uh, and the majority of it now is actually exclusively online. Like you can only get it online. Like, so a lot of the, the designs that we have, you can't even buy at our shows. We only have like a couple designs that we sell physically in hand. And then, um, when you're at our merch table, we actually have, if you're interested in any of the other designs, we have them all shown on our merch table and we can actually get you like when we have live shows, if you come to our table, we can actually get you to order the shirt right then and there 
you know, we take we take the payment there and get it shipped out to you. A lot of it's like direct to print um, on demand printing. So we don't have like a major overhead and we don't have to worry about spending thousands of dollars and have this overstock. Uh, and a lot of bands can actually do that now where they can go to a company like what's the company we're using right now? It's called Printful. Printful is a company that will allow you to upload as many designs as you want as many color schemes, as many options, hoodies, t-shirts, hats, whatever you want. And the only time that that merch gets produced and made is when someone orders it. So there's no overhead for the artist. They can they can dictate a price where maybe they're, they're not going to make $20 on that t-shirt, but without the overhead and having to worry about the initial cost, they could still make like nine or 10 bucks on a sh- per shirt or per item. So I, for anyone who is listening, I urge them to go through a company like Printful and link it to like, let's say a big cartel store and they can have just countless options. And I think you'll find that when you go to our merch store, which is the silence of merch.bigcartel.com cheap plug for you guys, you can check out, like, like I said, there's literally like dozens and dozens of designs that we have out now that we would have never been able to do or be able to afford to do if we had to get those all printed in hand, ready to go. I'll have to, I'll definitely have to check that out. And, uh, Hoping to once I can get like a, a real logo and some shit, want to start doing some merch of my own. So I'll definitely look into that. I think that's all I've got for you today. Before I let you go, is there any any other uh, final words, any final plugs, anything else you want to say? Well, again, just thank you so much to you for being so supportive and believing in this band all these years. And you know, you're one of the cats out there who's been submerged in the local scene for years, and you give a platform to inspiring artists and up and coming bands to be able to be heard. And I think at the grassroots of it all, that's the most important thing. So I'm always ultra appreciative of, of you having you as a friend, having you as someone who's in the the metal scene. And, um, you know, final thought of the day would just be to anyone out there who wants to try to pursue a dream, just know that it's never too late and it's not impossible as long as you're willing to put in the work and dedicate your life to the thing you love you can truly make a beautiful life for yourself it's going to be difficult there'll be a lot of ups and downs but you can absolutely make a life revolving around the thing you love most be it music or wrestling or whatever 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 drives you you can really truly build a life around it all you just got to put in the work and the time and you got to just believe in yourself when when all the chips are down so you know jay thanks again man i really really appreciate this Well, thank you for being on the show. You're welcome back anytime.
and that was the silencer with their latest single beliefs i want to thank charlie for being back on the show hopefully uh next time i'm doing a a round table that has a, a topic that might interest him that he can join us for that like he said you want to follow the silencer on social media you can find them on facebook and on instagram at the silencer music and on twitter at the silencer ny because they used to be from new york i guess maybe some at least one of the members is still from new york but i I don't know i'm not really sure where the new guys are from i know charlie's not in new york anymore but anyway (laughs) you can also follow j bunny's music hub on facebook twitter and instagram and patreon i Still working on that. Ever seems like every time I log, I, I know that I keep saying, "Oh, I think I have ideas. I think this. I think that." I think that every fucking time I log into that site, it like wants me to reset it up. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Maybe somebody, maybe one of you guys can help me out with that, and then I can actually do something there. Just because when I initially wrote the bio for that about what the podcast is and what it represents, like I wrote a couple of extra things. It's not in a bio anywhere else. So every time I want to copy that to put somewhere else I've got to find it and everything's like oh set up your profile it's like I already fucking did this like why anyway I digress all of this uh, it's going to sound weird because I spent a lot of time on Facebook but a lot of this social media shit confuses me and I only have it because publicists tell me oh you need to have it so that you have numbers so that we can give you guests uh, so with that in mind make sure that you have all of your friends follow J Bunny's Music Hub on those social media channels that I referred you to and let me know let me know if you've got any uh any feedback, any ideas for roundtable topics, any suggestions for guests if you uh you have the hookup there. I was also thinking cuz it seems like this podcast gets listeners from all over the place, which is fantastic. That's that's what we want. But because I'm located in like the New York, New Jersey area specifically, Whenever I have someone on the show that's not like a national touring act, it's always a local band from here, which is great. But I would love to make more connections with maybe some local and unsigned bands that are in other areas of the country. And I don't really have the exposure to those local music scenes. So again, if you live somewhere else, if you're not in the New York, New Jersey area, and you got some cool local bands that you think could use some exposure, send them my way. Um, I'd love to have them on the show. Also, another important social media plug before I completely fucking forget about it. Don't forget, guys, if you support music like I do by buying it, then I want you to follow at Industry Embers on Facebook and Twitter and either tweet or post your music purchases with the hashtag BuyMusic, B-U-Y, or it's BuyMusic, B-Y-E. Now, as for what's next for the show, I already have the next episode recorded. It's taken a long time to get this episode done for some reason. It seems like every time I try to to get this particular one done, something else came up that just sort of delayed it. Stuff in my personal life, computer issues, just just now as I was doing this, weird audacity issues. That's the program I use to do the editing. Uh, so, so in the meantime, I did record another episode. That episode is with Bill Nache, who is the drummer for the band Sons on Fire, and used to be the drummer for the band Kicking Kate, which uh, I got exposed to when they were uh, getting a song played on Sirius XM Octane a bunch of years ago. That was a really great conversation. He was a really cool dude, so I can't wait to get that one edited and posted for you guys. Uh, after that, I don't have anything else in the can as of yet. Uh, I've got feelers out there. I've got requests being made 
out to bands and stuff. I have requests being made of me. So there will definitely be something else soon. I just don't have it done yet, so I don't know what it is. Like I always say, this happens in its own time, in its own way. It is what it is. I'd really like this to be a more frequent thing, but as of now, <laughs> life is uh, life is making that difficult. But I am, I'm not going to give up on it. This is too much fun. I really enjoy this. So that's about all I've got for you guys today. I'm going to leave you guys today with another song by The Silencer. Uh, this song is their previous single, the one that came out before Beliefs, and it was the last one to feature Charlie Corletta as the as the lead vocalist. This is I Archaic. Until next time, guys. <laughs>